Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Wilson. I'm your host today. And we're recording the episode after Manchester United beat Everton 2-1 at Goodison Park on Sunday night after an unusual kickoff time of 7pm. Samuel, you were at the game, obviously. How are you, first of all? And what time did you get back last night? I'm very well, thank you. And it was probably around 20 to midnight, so... Uh, the, the, the roads weren't great as well with with the weather as you could see uh, on, on the television if anybody watched the game but I, I still you know was was in in time to uh, quickly rewind on iPlayer to to watch a bit of match of the day so it's it's it's, it's the way you want to end a, a Sunday night it's it's living the dream isn't wouldn't it? have it any other way I imagine and Rich you've uh, had a week off how was it yeah it was good moved house but my Sunday night was it was a good Sunday had a roast had crumble and custard. <laughs> Maybe didn't catch as much of the game as, as Samuel did, but um, yeah, I'm sure we had to get. That, that sounds like an envi- that sounds like an enviable Sunday to have, I must say. Well, uh, well, strictly results show. I'm not sure that was <laughs> enviable. Let's put it that way. I'd argue it's a shame. see Tony Adams though, football related. I <laughs> yeah, yeah, element of work that comes into it there, definitely. It was actually a good game though, Rich. Obviously, we we do know that was an entertaining contest, especially for the neutral. We had three goals in the first half. Obviously, Alex Wobie, Samuel. Took an early lead, got an early lead for Everton with a, a fantastic strike, but Casemiro got caught in possession. That was a poor mistake, but he did recover, didn't he, after that? Um, what were your thoughts, really, initially leaving the stadium? What was your snap verdict at Goodison Park? The, the first half, I, I still think, was United's best under Ten Hag. It, it was always quite fascinating going into it in that Everton had the miserliest defence in the Premier League. United are not patient lot pickers. It's not a skill that they've ever looked like excelling at. And it's it's not really been part of their identity, even going back decades to before Ferguson, uh, going to Tommy Doherty as manager or Matt Busby as manager or Ron Atkinson, whoever. They've, they've just never been associated with playing that way. So when Iwobi did score in the fifth minute, it, it had the rest. It was the perfect recipe for disaster. You're 1-0 down against a team that do not concede a lot of goals. And your only real tactic um, in, in scoring goals is via the counter-attack. So for United to have actually turned it around before half-time was was very, very impressive. I mean, the, obviously, the mitigation behind the, the two goals they scored were, of course, true to form. They were both counter-attacks. But it was very admirable the way they very, very clinically took those chances. Um, very ruthless. Uh, I think that I suppose that's one aspect of, of their wins this season that has been standout. It was somewhat similar to the Arsenal game uh, in that regard. And also, what made the first half impressive was that they 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 were forced into a change before the half half hour mark. Uh, certainly not a light for light substitution. I mean, Martial and Ronaldo operate very, very differently. They um, play at different paces. Uh, there's about a, what, 11-year age gap between them. So it's it, it could have been it could have been quite compromising, but Ronaldo had his, certainly had his best game all season uh, beyond the goal. I know there were a couple of occasions where he was offside and he was getting in the way of balls that really weren't intended for him or that he should have been leaving. And he, I mean, you could tell he was having a, such a good a night because he was actually very apologetic to, to Bruno Fernandes when he got in the way of that cross from Casemiro in the second half. In the end, it was it was needlessly nervy. Uh, Everton, for some reason, were very lifeless after they scored. The, the crowd, Goodison can be a real bear pit, but 
it wasn't whatsoever. It was rather humdrum, and you sense that maybe a few people would rather have been at home watching Strictly Come Dancing than actually being at the football on on Sunday night. So United had no problem managing the crowd at all. United supporters were audibly upbeat during those 10 minutes that they were 1-0 down. It was only, I suppose, ironically, when James Garner came on that Everton was stirred and they, they did confine United to their penalty area for what felt like the last five minutes. And there were some anxious moments and Varane, I think, might have actually prevented Jordan Pickford from, from equalising, which is not a sentence <laughs> I, think meant, I don't think I was ever envisaging uttering at any stage. But United fully deserved the win. Uh, going away to Everton, winning, that always that's always a good result anyway. But the fact that the first half they played in a way that is aligned with Ten Hag and certainly the style that he's trying to transition them to uh, signals more progress. We'll talk about that style a bit later in the podcast because I did want to ask a few questions about that, of course, because it was a really bright and positive first 45 minutes, I'd say. But if we go back to the early setback, Rich, um, Casemiro divers on the ball, gets caught in possession and obviously Everton score from that. But he responded really well. He did have a fantastic performance after that. And that's obviously a sign of a quality player. It was the performance we've been waiting for in terms of, you know, we're, we know he's a world-class player. We know he's a world-class defensive midfielder. But perhaps against Sociedad, he wasn't that good. Ammonia, you know, pretty average performance. But last night, I feel like we saw the real Casemiro and that has to bode well going forward, doesn't it? It does, but I also think that you know, this, these are the type of errors that he should have got out of his system maybe a bit earlier on if he'd been integrated earlier on in the season. You know, he said we, he would have been up to speed then to start the derby. United, okay, they probably still would have lost because you know a different force, but it probably would have been a different outcome on the day in terms of performance and, and the result. But he, yeah, he's got to take time to get started. And I did always find it a bit weird when Ten Hag said he needed to get up to speed of the Premier League. You know, this is a player who is known for being competitive. He's playing in quite a physical league in La Liga. Okay, the Premier League is a, a notch up, but he's he's played against the best midfielders in the world. He knows how to hold himself. He just needs to be given those minutes now. And particularly after the investment you know, I've put in him, they've just got to stick with him, really. And I think that, you know, it's, it's clear evidence that the, the more you play him, the, the better he's going to get. But he's still coming into a side now that is relatively new to him. He's playing in front of a different back four as well than he would have done previously, really. I mean, I think United... Although Lindelof is a great backup player to have because he has got a good mentality for a reserve centre-back. When Varane's not starting, United miss him. and Maybe it's no surprise that they concede early on as well when Varane's not on the pitch. Okay, I know it's a great finish, but he just has that assurance as well. So for Casemiro, he's playing in front of a, a back four, a centre-back partnership that he wasn't really used to. Yeah, he's going to make mistakes. Uh, any new signing will, but he's, a, he's an investment for the whole season, for next season and for the next few years. So... You've just got to stick with him. He's getting better. And the way that you need to reward that now is by playing him. And obviously, McTominay suspended for the for the Newcastle game next weekend as well. So there's absolutely no excuse not to, to start Casemiro again. And I think we are going to start to see the best of him in the United shirt. And, you know, when he's in his role as well, he has to either do something great or do something bad to, to get most people's attention. But in a few weeks' time, I think you'll hardly even notice him on the pitch. That's that's how good he'll be, is he'll just go about his job and it won't even be headline-worthy. It'll be hardly noticeable what he does. And, and that's what United want, really, just someone who is quiet and not anonymous in the defensive midfield role, but someone who just goes about it without any sort of hoo-ha. And I think they've got that. I think they've got the no-nonsense midfielder now. And 
like I said, he just needs time to settle and I think it'll all be okay on, on his part. I'd echo all of that. I think it was a, it was a classy performance, really, from, from Casemiro. If we stay with the subject of classy, Casemiro's countryman, Samuel Anthony, uh, also obviously a Brazilian. It was a fantastic finish from him to get United back in the game. He certainly knows where the back of the net is, doesn't he? Um, he scored against Arsenal, City and Everton. The first player in the Premier League to score in his first three Premier League appearances, uh, which was pretty impressive in itself. But I think it's fair to say, Samuel, perhaps in his last few games, obviously he has scored goals, but he hasn't been that effective. But I thought against Everton last night, his performance was better uh, in regards of an all-round performance. Would you agree? It was his best performance for United by far, and, and Ten Hag pretty much agreed with that in his analysis afterwards. He highlighted, perhaps pointedly as well, after the stick that Anthony had got off skulls um, in, in the week because of his performance in the derby, that he was he, he was mucking in a lot more defensively. There were times where Dallow was actually leaving him to close down Damari Gray and Gray can blow hot and cold. He's he's a very talented winger on his day, but he is far too inconsistent. It's still some going when you've got Anthony, who is not a player anyone remotely associates with being defensive-minded, um, that he's given that task and they entrust him with that task as well. So he certainly, it, as I said, it was his best performance in the, aside from the goal, which was pretty well taken. I know Pickford got a slight touch to it and Anthony did, telegraph that you knew exactly what he wanted to do but he still put it in the back of the net but it seemed like a much more collaborative performance than, it, than his previous performances he seemed a lot more in sync with United it helped that United actually played as a team which just wasn't the case at City it was regression to uh, the individualistic performances of last season where they just did not gel um, far too often where uh, they were detached where there was no real coherent uh, strategy that was going on at all and he obviously is going to take time to uh, to be integrated to what Ten Hag wants I mean it's in, in some ways it's he's, he's got a free hit in that he's he's going to a club which is you know that cliched in transition uh, period and he's playing under a manager who, who knows him well from from Ajax and in some ways I guess there's maybe a little bit more pressure on some teammates who have not got up to speed and re in recent years at United than there is on Anthony. But of course, he has his own pressure, which is the top price tag. And if you've got three goals in your first three Premier League games, that's a very good start to you know, trying to shut people up. I mean, you know, he'll always have that over Erling Haaland, I suppose. Ha Haaland didn't actually score in his first three Premier League games. I mean, he's, he's not done much wrong since, but um, Anthony's always always got that to, um, uh, to show for his efforts in his first couple of months at United. But those those days where I remember, I still remember when Mourinho was derided when he dug out I think it was Eden Hazard and it must have been 2014 I think when Chelsea lost to Atletico Madrid in the Champions League semi final and he made a point of digging out Hazard for not tracking back and at the time it was it was seen as well why should a winger track back that why should that be in his makeup and that's that's a prerequisite now you only have to look at. Manchester City's players, how they work like demons to know that you've got to be mucking in in your final third. You've you've got to put a shift in. Um, it's, it's very easy to track the distance that footballers run these days. And Anthony is going to have to add that to his game because you suspect he didn't have to do a hell of a lot of that for Ajax and the Eredivisie just because of, of the cultural differences. And, and Ajax are expected to win 
almost every game they play in the Eredivisie as well. And it's all about their proactive style and their identity. It's very different at United. He's gone to a team that has not been identifiable by and large for a very, very long time. And they're under a new manager who has, has partly been hired to give to, to implement a more sophisticated and um, and contemporary uh, playing style and identity as well, which is why he's obviously gone to players he's familiar with, and Anthony is one of them. So, uh, you know, it was, it was a good response for him uh, from him. Sorry, because I think we said on the eve of the game that he was he was almost in that team by default, and that you knew Sancho had to come out because he's been abysmal in the last couple of games. You knew Rashford had to come in, that Marshall had to come in. There is not an obvious right-sided player other than Anthony in that squad at the moment. And if he's scoring every time he plays in the Premier League, nobody's going to complain uh, with that. But the fact that he actually produced a performance was very encouraging. And also, again, I've, I've said it before, it's, it's one of the fascinating aspects of Ten Hag in that he is critical of players in in, in victory. And that was the case again with, with Anthony last night. He, he outlined what he actually improved in in the game against Everton and then went on to say what he can improve going forward, how he needs to be more, uh, more varied with his play and, and get behind uh, the defence more often. And he did that very, very well. I mean, it, it, obviously it was a counter-attacking goal and Everton were caught a little bit out of position, but United sees on it very, very clinically and the pass from Marshall was perfect and you knew what Anthony wanted to do with the ball. Obviously, Anthony's goal brought United level rich um, and Casemiro actually nearly put United ahead just before half-time. Ahead yeah. from six yards, he probably should have scored. I think we'd all agree on that. I think we've saw you both score those at five-a-side. Um, from that moment on, he kind of, you know, that was his moment to atone, but then he made a brilliant challenge in midfield and released Ronaldo down the left wing. It was a goal made in Real Madrid in that regard. Ronaldo's 700th career club goal, which is just a remarkable achievement. I was going to ask you, can you put into words what that achievement means? And it's certainly not a bad option to have off the bench, is he? No, I mean, it's incomprehensible, really, isn't it? It's these freak levels of output that he's just normalised, really, the, the amount of goals he's plundered in his career. And it's quite to him that even at his age, you, you didn't doubt him for a second when he's threw on goal with that finish. He made it look so simple. It's on his left foot. You know, I'm sure Everton fans may be saying the keeper could maybe do a bit better, but Ronaldo is just... It's it's remarkable that even when I grew up, and my first memories of Ronaldo as a, as a winger, I never thought of him as a goal scorer now, but there's an entire different generation who only do see him as a centre forward and one of the greatest of all time. It's the fact that he's done it on the wing and through the middle as well. It's just, it's remarkable how long, not only longevity, but the fact that he has reinvented himself and continues to do so and, and to adapt his his play to the Premier League and you know the Premier League still is the the acid test really for any striker in in the world and he, he still makes it look so effortless doesn't he when he when he gets through and goal like that and it's difficult in it because whenever you mention Ronaldo the, the replies are just flooded with messy fanboys and it's just a tedious toxic debate that doesn't ever have to be had you can enjoy them both you don't have to be a hard one side or the other you know you can you can enjoy both of them for what they do but he is remarkable and I guess the concern from United's point of view is that, not that they did have to rely on him, but it's the fact that they do still look very thin in attacking options and people who can actually go and score goals. I mean, the archetypal sort of sign of champions or a top team is those goals coming from all over the pitch. With United, it doesn't seem to be that. I know Anthony will chip in, Martial obviously the, the favoured striker, but injury prone. It's the, the concern for me is the fact that United are still 
having to rely so much on their forward line, which again sounds a bit nonsense because obviously the attackers are the ones who are meant to have the majority of the goals. But United still, to me, seem quite over-reliant on that, that aspect. And the concern, obviously, is that Ronaldo's got a short shelf life now. I mean, he's expected to leave next year. Marshall's still injury-prone and there isn't another striker really at the club. I know you can say that Anthony or Ericsson could play as a false nine. That's not what either of them were signed for. Rashford isn't a centre-forward. So, you know, United need to enjoy him and make the most of Ronaldo while they can. But they also need to use him as evidence that this is what a proper striker can do in this team as well. You know, the days of having just a fluid forward line without a main focal point are gone. I know United have had success of that already under Ten Hag, particularly in pre-season. But they need a, a long-term option who can play through the middle and have that physical presence. And it goes back to what Solskjaer said. Solskjaer said he wanted a striker who's willing to break their nose to get goals. And it almost feels like United are, are back in that situation again now where they still need someone long-term who obviously won't be able to replicate what Ronaldo's done, but can try and mimic it at least. Just on the Messi-Ronaldo debate, Rich, the, the great Rio Ferdinand once famously said, let's just enjoy them, man. Let's just enjoy them, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to put it in that, that, that in the podcast. Word when I heard not that you, need, you need to mean that as one of those quotes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'll go viral. Philosophical stuff from Rio Ferdinand. <laughs> Yeah, get on the poster. Of course. Uh, it did actually lead us into my next question, though, Samuel. Rich kind of gives a nice segue. He was talking about the strikers there, really. Um, obviously, Martial uh, got brought off with an injury. He was a bit touch and go, according to BT. I think they were making more of it than it was, or perhaps not, because he did actually come off, of course. He, he did come off, I suppose, <laughs> with his hip injury. Um, obviously, he did make an assist for Anthony. I did feel a bit sorry for him. It did seem quite ashamed, didn't it, when he kind of trudged off uh, for Ronaldo. But... Is it as simple as that has to be United's priority, uh, centre-forward now? Because Martial, we all know he's injury-prone. Ronaldo's coming to the end. It has to be the case, doesn't it, I think? Yeah, and it, it was already, in fairness, that it's been... it's been a, That should already have been in the pipeline and that Ronaldo, this is almost certainly going to be his last season back at United. You can't hang your hat on Martial, and I'm not saying that based on his form this season, because when he has played, he's had an impact. Uh, he was very good in pre-season as well, but his fitness is, is it has to be a mounting concern. It's it's easily forgotten the end of the um, 2021 season. I think he missed the last two months of it. And then, of course, that meant he didn't go uh, to, to the Euros with France. He didn't have a good season then. Looking at it, I think he's not completed 90 minutes for United in the Premier League since January 2021, which is a staggeringly long time ago. Um, he's not done it at all in, in any competition since September last year. So that's over a year ago. I know sometimes stats like that, it, you're not taking into account the fact that he's been frozen out or the manager's not like the look of him, what have you. But he has had already this season three injuries and it's it was unclear what the injury was on, on Sunday. Yeah, the easy joke to make, as I put in the blog, is that with, with Marshall, it is always very, very difficult to tell whether he is injured or not, just because of the way he has this tendency to amble about. But when he did come off, a couple of players had already ended their warm-up, so I didn't really think anything of it. It was only when BT obviously um, showed that footage, and when when I mentioned it to the United staff um, down the, in, in the same row as us, it was the first they, they were aware of it, but there was no change there, and he actually did pretty well. I, I did think that when he had that collision with Pickford, might that be the, the, 
the moment where it forces him off because it, it maybe it might have aggravated it. We don't know. Uh, Ten Hag didn't know even when when he was asked about Martial after the game. But they they are going to need a striker next year um, or a goal scorer, whatever kind of forward that they want, whether it's a, a target man type or someone who's a bit more uh, fluid. They they need someone who's got a proven goal scoring record. And when you see that Chelsea are pretty much all but signed and Kunku from uh, from, from RB Leipzig, you know they're they're not being about the bush. They they've already brought in um, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang this year. Um, you know, they're not resting on their laurels at all. You, you've got to be quite swift um, to, to get these players. And, and Nkunku is a player who obviously was fleetingly of interest to United whilst Rangnick was there, but was never seriously considered because Rangnick was only an interim. But looking at the scorers charts for United so far this season, I think it's only six players who've, who've scored goals for them. And I know we're only a couple of months into the season, but they, they can't be dependent on, you know, a small group of forwards everybody it feels like this is a season where everybody's got to chip in and the goals do need to be shared about a little bit more because as, as rich rightly said that that attack it's very it gets thin very very easily you take one player out of it whether it's through suspension or injury and your options are limited and it's just as well that rashford has, has rediscovered his goal scoring um form this season i think he's got five goals already which is is as many as he got last season. What was his clip? That was his Anna Cerebralis last season. So he's he's a completely different player this season, which bodes well. But all those goals he's getting, they're coming from the left wing. Before we get stuck into that Rashford incident, because I'm sure we'll have plenty to say, it was a, it's a terrible decision, in my opinion. Richard wanted to ask you about De Gea. Um, he came out after the game and kind of talked about his future, said he would like to stay at United, which I think is no surprise. I think he said that before um, this summer. It was a proactive first half. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised, actually. I've, I saw him come out of his box. I thought, is that really David De Gea in between the sticks? <laughs> I was a bit confused about what was going on. Um, but there was a moment, I think, when the ball hit off Lindelof's back, like Anthony Gordon was, was quickly closing in. And they uh, took the initiative to read the day and Jack came out and, and found Dallow. So I was impressed by that. Um, is it too little, too late in that regard with De Gea's game? We kind of know his limitations with the ball at his feet. And if you were Eric Ten Hag this summer or approaching this summer, would you keep De Gea at the club? It's a really difficult one, isn't it? Because, you know, you've got to give the time to adapt. And you know, no matter what happens, he's got to the end of the season, at least hasn't he, to try and show that he can change. He's never going to change completely into that modern sort of sweeper-keeper permanently. That's that's not what he does. And when he does try to change too much, he can often lose what, what makes him so good. You know, he's a brilliant shot stopper. His distribution's poor. Everyone knows that. Yeah, he might be able to get a bit better, but, you know, he's come, come this far and made a reputation for himself for what he is. And I almost feel that you don't need to change him at times because... He is just what he is. He's good at what he's good at. And he's got these obvious flaws to his game, which maybe just don't suit the style of the team. Now, for me, that doesn't mean that De Gea has to change. You just need to carry on doing what he's doing anyway. And United eventually need to look at replacing him anyway. I think next summer, you've got to be in the market for the goalkeeper. We seem to talk about this every week, don't we? But for my personal opinion, it's it's obvious that De Gea is a better goalkeeper than Henderson at the moment. But Henderson's more suited to the style and has a higher ceiling left in his career you know they're gonna intersect at some point um day on the way down his career hence on the way up but united need to have someone who who does suit their style of play more because there's been a few moments this season already and there still is a few moments with with De Gea playing out from the back so 
I think you just almost have to give it from now to the end of the season for Ten Hag to really hammer home and establish what it is he wants from his goalkeeper. Does he really want to go down this modern route? And if he does, then it's just it's obvious that De Gea doesn't suit that, and and that's fine. The problem, of course, is the contract. Do you need to offer him a, a new deal? I, I don't think you do. It does just it just the question of United of old versus United of new. Will they actually have the principle to say, you know what, you've you've had been a great servant to the club, you've given us so much, but for the role you're offering, we, you're not worth the money anymore. Which I think is what I do. If if this was free, FIFA career mode, that is what I do, and I go scouting the best young sweeper keeper in Europe I can. But I do think there's also there's probably also argument to say if you're going after a younger goalkeeper again, someone who's almost in the the same sort of mould of De Gea as when United signed him. You know, they had him for a season. They they had to sort of stick by him through thick and thin. He was dropped. I think Anders Lindergaard came in. You know, it was it was difficult because he he wasn't up to the challenge right away. I think you've got to the next summer, regardless of your long term ambitions, almost is buy a young goalkeeper who can then have time to settle and to to adapt to the way United play and expectations of English football. It's identifying who that is, though. Like Samuel said, signing a striker is the, is the priority. There's also going to be calls for a new fullback, I think. Centre mid, you can, oh, there's always going to be arguments <laughs> to get another centre mid rather than McTominay or Fred as the backup. You know, there is so much mitigation there. Centre half, you know, if Maguire was to leave, if he's not playing, and Lindelof says, oh, I want to leave as well, then you're certainly the new centre back as well. Ten Hag's also going to have less of a budget next year as he as he had this past summer. So there is just so much mitigation at play that for me right now, a new goalkeeper isn't the priority. It's a striker, then it's probably a fullback, then it's goalkeeper. But it's such a difficult conundrum. I like I said, if it was my personal opinion, I'd I'd be getting rid of De Gea at the end of his contract because you've got to think long term. But this is Man United, and I know Ten Hag's eager to eradicate this old sort of. All the old mistakes are just handing contracts to players who maybe don't quite deserve them. Something t- deep down tells me that they won't change their form too much. It, you know, De Gea is is a big personality for United still. He's been there so long. He he has won stuff with United before as well. So, yeah, it's a really difficult one. But for me, I think you've got to be thinking long term. You've got to be thinking of a new goalkeeper at some point in, in the next year. I think regardless of what happens, he's been a wonderful servant as he 11 years at the club now. And after brought me piece this lunchtime actually that it does obviously deserves praise for his performance last night because it was a, a confident display and we don't always get that um the kind of proactive display from the hair unfortunately uh samuel it's time it's time to talk about rashford and and that referee decision um obviously he was denied his sixth goal of the season um and the goal would have actually stood if he squared it to fernandez for anyone that hasn't saw the incident rashford doesn't know anything about it, it kind of trickles off his arm um, and he goes obviously and scores. So can you make some sense out of that decision? Because it didn't make much sense to me. I, I will try <laughs> because I think according to this nonsense law, because Rashford has scored the goal himself, and it's part of the same phase. Which I mean, I feel ridiculous just even outlining all this, but these are not my words. It's not my rule. But because he scored. It's disallowed because it's part of the same phase. If he had squared it to someone for them to score, apparently it stands. It's it's like what happened with uh, Duncan Watmore, Matt Crooks at Old Trafford in in February for the Middlesbrough game, which just objectively was a blatant handball. It, it, 
this this is what gets me with the handball rule. It's one of those things where you just got to look at it objectively and say, like, just have your just take a sensible decision. Is that handball? Yes. And in the case of Watmore, it was handball. But because he didn't score and laid it off for Crooks, that was seen as fair game, different phase or whatever it is. And there were a couple over the weekend. Um, I think most of them seemed to happen on a Sunday, in fact. I mean, I, I thought Gabriel was lucky to get away with it against Liverpool. I know the ball didn't travel far. It probably didn't even travel a yard. But... His, his hand was in an unnatural position. And look, I, I, I think we all struggle to keep up with the terminology of handball. And I'm not sure if that unnatural position even comes into it anymore. But looking at it, his hand should not be up there. He's stopping the ball from going uh, past him. I, I thought that was a penalty. The Mikel Antonio one, I think they cleared, I say cleared it up on match the day too, but they were even pretty aghast at it. I think Mark Chapman said, um, just looking at the quote now, we're told that the goal is given. And just for context, um, if you've not seen it, Antonio pretty much just nudges the ball ahead of him with his arm. Uh, I don't think that's even disputable. Um, but Chap uh, Mark Chapman said, we're told that the goal is given because he still had work to do. <laughs> it becomes a second phase when he hits it into Leno and Fulham have the chance to clear. How anyone has sat down in a room and come out with all that claptrap and at the end of it thought, Do you know what, that makes sense. I mean, it's something like I would be, it's almost as if, it, if, if I'd written something on my phone because my laptop had died or something like that, and without checking it, I send it and I expect it to be published. It's, it's that kind of equivalent. I wouldn't dream of that ever seeing the light of day because it would not be in a shape to be published. You, we, we all self-sub our work before it's sent on to an editor. I think these clowns who are just making decisions in football um need need their own you know society of editors it, it just made no sense whatsoever we, we've seen it before i think it, it probably all started with was it when gabriel jesus scored for city against spurs a few years ago and it's a last minute goal three two great win for city and then of course this was the season var came in full time in the premier league because Lepore, I think it was Amerit Lepore, went yeah. to head the ball and it just, and his arm was not in an unnatural position. He's just trying to head the ball and the ball brushes his hand or his arm. And Jesus scores from there and it's like, no, that's not a goal. That should have been a goal. Uh, completely accidental. You see it a lot of the time, like the players don't even know that the ball has brushed their arm or their hand uh, in the process of it. And that was the that was pretty much the case with Rashford. When that ball went in, some Evertonians actually walked out because it was 80th minute, 3-1 down. Uh, might as well beat the traffic here. We've lost. See you later. Uh, I didn't see them resurface, but that's that's how bad it's getting. And that <laughs> I mean, if it had Everton like had Pickford equalise at the end, and this guy who'd gone out with his daughter had, had missed that just because of bar, it, it would have been another case to to abolish it. It's just it's not used in the best way in this country. I think that's clear. And I suppose the biggest problem other than the terminology of it is, is the, uh, uh, sorry, are the officials in this country? They are, they're just not good enough. And look, I, I'm, I'm loath to give Richard Keyes any sort of coverage, <laughs> but the only time he's been in stopped clock mode in, in recent years was when I think he said something last year about how, certain referees the the younger referees are so deferential towards them that they don't want to pull them up when they've 
clearly made an error, so they won't intervene if they're on the the VAR. And I, I think there's something in that. I mean, Michael Oliver is someone who loves making decisions. He loves playing up to the crowd. So yesterday was was perfect for him. And unfortunately, we're getting into we're getting to a point now where we see a replay and we think, well, that's got to be disallowed or that's got to be overturned. And they don't do anything about it, and you're left shocked, and you you one you're questioning your own sanity because you're thinking, am I the only one who thinks that that should have stood, or whether that should have, or that should have been overturned? And then, fortunately, you have a look on Twitter, search the keywords, and you're not. There are others out there who are, who are despairing at it as well. So, yeah, Rashford was certainly robbed of a goal, but having having wait, you know, spent about five minutes talking about it, at least it didn't change uh, or have an impact on the outcome of the game. Something's gone badly, badly wrong with Richard Keyes is uh is right in the, the voice. Yes, yeah, that, that's how bad it's got for the officials. Even Richard Keyes is is able to take the more high ground against them every now and then. It, it would appear it's very hard to agree normally with Richard Keyes, as we all know. Uh, Rich, obviously, Rashford was smiling as Samuel just touched upon when that got disallowed. He wouldn't have been smiling if Everton scored. You know, that's that's the. That's the the, the case obviously uh towards the end of the game they didn't really look like scoring and uh, put some pressure on james garner obviously had that effort which was one of the best chances they here produced that save i actually thought about uh the game at villa park in january last season when united were two nil up and the folded and, and villa came back in two two and what i was impressed with with that second performance was the kind of the character and the spirit and the mental toughness it wasn't pretty but united got the job done and I think that shows a mentality shift, doesn't it, under Tenag, or a gradual shift? Yeah, I think we saw that in the win against Leicester, the win against Southampton as well. There were moments late on where, where both those teams could have got equalisers against United. And, you know, United have taken... Was it? This, I saw the stat online. I can't remember the exact game, sorry about this, but they'd taken 10 points from five games last season and they've taken, I think, 15 points from this season. It'd been, was it Everton, Southampton, Leicester... I've got the teams. I've got the teams noted. Dan Rich was going to ask Samuel. It's 15 points from 18 from Liverpool, Southampton, Leicester, Arsenal, Man City, and Everton, which is quite impressive when you look at it like that. Yeah, exactly. You've got yeah. to boil it down, and I think particularly now you see managers all the time. You know, when you see documentaries, etc., and they, they all break down blocks of games and say we've got to get this amount of points in this amount of games, and they'll have it all plotted out. And I'd be surprised if Ten Hag didn't have it already plotted out for the season. This is where we're going to finish. We need X amount of points from this this chunk of games and from this chunk of games. And yeah, United, if you take a step away and step back, they're, they're doing fine. They are doing just fine. But I guess the whole problem with United is that their lows are amplified to be even worse than they are, and they're small victories are maybe taken to grand extremes where they're, they're paraded or something that they're not quite at. So, you know, United always just need to have a bit of level-headedness, really, and, and to take a step back. And, and yeah, things are going going well. And like you said, I think that's another victory that's very impressive because they did hang on. And United, you know, even last season, you would have expected them to concede late goals in that game. I mean, you, in his job... <laughs> You almost think, what is United's worst performance? And it, the, ever since you've been covering the club, or every, every season, what is their worst performance? And there's so many, aren't there? The, the Ammonia game looked like that was going to be another one, didn't it? When they go behind that, they and last season they might have lost that game. You think of Basaksa here, you think of Brighton, you think of Brentford, you think of just all these awful teams, as well, like in the League Cup and FA Cup, have just come. These players who 
never score goals, who score a goal. I'm looking at you, Langs, Longstaff, sorry, at Newcastle. Never score a goal. <laughs> the only goal they ever score in their careers against United. Obafemi did it for Southampton. You had Brozier, who only scored about four or five goals for Southampton last season, but he gets one against United. United had this knack of making all teams feel they're going to get a goal, and all these players who never score goals just seem to score. They always seem to score against United. And it is a credit now that under Ten Hag, that isn't really happening anymore. They are seeing out these gritty wins, and that is a huge mentality shift. And that is something that, I know the links are tedious all the time, but that's what Arsenal are doing under Mikel Teta. They had that game where they came back from behind against Villa and won. You know, they've had this mentality shift where you used to say, oh, same old Arsenal. Of course, they're going to have a slump. They're going to bottle it. Oh, they've got Liverpool on Sunday. You know, it's, it's Arsenal, so they are going to lose, but they don't. And United are slowly getting that. It's still a long, long project. They're, they're still years off it, but they need to stick with it now, not get too carried away when things get good and not get too sad when things inevitably turn bad, which they will. It's United. But the fact of the matter is they are grinding out these wins. And like I said, soon, it's a really good trait to have. And they are getting somewhere. You can actually see some progress. It's not pretty. It's not complete performances yet, but it's getting there. It is getting there. It was the anniversary, wasn't it, of that Matty Longstaff goal at St James's Park? Um, was it Matty? Sorry, yeah. Sorry, Sean Longstaff. Uh, you're getting confused with Sean. It could, be Sean's, it could be Sean's chance this week. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> you can show that he was once worth 50 million, allegedly. Jesus yeah. Christ, I don't know what was happening there. Um, but that's to be discussed later in the week when we come on the podcast on Friday. But for now, thank you, Samuel. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Stephen. And thank you, Rich. Thank you very much. And thanks to listeners as usual. Take care.